some fell right down that rabbit hole So reality is questionable Try but you just can't let it go These two right here put on the show It's paranormal overload with southern hospitality Haunted murder mayhem tip while discussing immortality Locations with a dark past History that comes to life Hillbillies with a knack for Everything that goes bump at night Overthinking if you by yourself These two will have you turning on the lights Mixing in a little comedy to make sure it all fits in just right Hey, Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories Now here's your hosts Jerry and Tracy Paul And their dog Ninja Sometimes they're cat Freddy, but never the ferrets. What's good, what's good, what's good? This your boy Marcus Harvey from Ghost Brothers. What's happening, man? This your boy Dayla Spratt from Ghost Brothers. And this is Jawan Mass from the Ghost Brothers. We like to give a big shout out to the Hillbilly Horror Stories. Hillbilly horror stories Where your stories is from a hillbilly And it's kind of horror Cause it's hillbilly horror stories That was terrible, Dalen yeah. I, I tried Tune into the podcast, we up in here Ghost Brothers Hey guys, welcome to episode 324 of Hillbilly Horror Stories I'm Jerry And I'm Tracy Alright Tracy, so Obviously we're going to start off by thanking all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thank you for all that you do. Amen. We appreciate you guys so much and appreciate y'all having our backs every day. We keep praying for you guys and just stay safe out there. Absolutely. Also, we want to um, give a mention to the firefighters from Several different uh, agencies that were helping fight the fire in Gatlinburg today. Yeah. One of our favorite places, the uh, Puckers, is a, is a little bar and grill that we have been at I don't know how many times. It's uh, one of my favorite places to eat at down there, and uh, that was one of the places lost today, unfortunately. Yeah, and so was the 420 place, so anybody that needs a good buzz, if you're in Gatlinburg, I would take a walk across there, because you're probably going to get one. Yeah, that's uh, that's a, the free ones, too. They yep. don't normally get free samples, no, but this they time they are. But that's a shame. I hate to see that happening there. All right, so we also want to make sure that we mention that uh, it's a lot of tough times for people. I, I'm looking in our Facebook group, and I'm seeing people from all over the world um, that are struggling right now, some through financial reasons, some through uh, lack of job, uh, some from lack of housing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I saw one uh, young lady the other day. She said that they're literally going to be in a tent in the next couple of weeks, not because they don't have the money. It's because they just can't find a place. It's just there are no places they got to be out of their house. Mm-hmm. And there are no, there's just basically no place to rent. And they've mm-hmm. even looked outside the area. I mean, I, I can't imagine being in a situation like that. But whatever the situation is that you're in, if you're struggling Please reach out, either reach out to us or reach out to the group. Um, but I guarantee you somebody is out there willing to help you. And if you're not comfortable with that, reach out to a friend or family member. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody will hear you and listen to you and try to help if they can, for sure. If you don't want to go that route, you can call the number 988. It's very simple to do now. And you can also still text at 741741. But there's always somebody there for you guys. Please don't ever forget that. Yep, absolutely. So, Tracy, a little bit later in the show, uh, I have a a small interview with a young lady. Uh, her name is Annie, and she is the head of the uh, Department of Tourism 
out in uh, Meade County. Okay. And they are going to have their very first ever Battletown Witch Festival. Ooh, that sounds fun. Yeah, it's a little later, little later this month. It's at the end of the month, but um, she's going to tell us all about who the Battletown Witch is and why they're having a festival. Oh, great. So, all right. Let's jump right into the story. Tracy, the Hasita Head Lighthouse Bed and Breakfast opened in 1995 by volunteers Mike and Carol Corgan. Now, Mike and Carol were former restaurant owners, but they also were restoration experts. So Where's this, this a, place at? I'm getting to it. Oh, my bad. This is, <laughs> this is, this is like a tease. Like a preempt. Huh? Yeah, it's a tease. <laughs> so this is a perfect project for them. These days, the Bed and Breakfast is ran by the, her, their daughter, Michelle, and the property manager, Misty Anderson, that we're going to hear a lot about today. They offer six rooms and can accommodate up to 15 guests at one time. So I think that's like the, the perfect number. It really, it really is a great place to stay because when it was renovated by Mike and Carol, they made sure to keep it as authentic as possible, but at the same time, modern. Sure. So, so let's look at some history of the Hasita Head Lighthouse. The lighthouse is in Florence, Oregon. It was constructed in 1892 on a very rugged and very steep cliff on the Oregon coast. Oh. The name of the lighthouse goes all the way back to Spanish explorer Bruno de Hasita. Now, Bruno explored the Pacific Northwest during the 17th century. Now, he noticed the large headlands, but unfortunately, he didn't actually make it there because he was forced to turn back and go south because his crew was struck with scurvy. Man, I hate when that happens. Um, I do, too. Doesn't sound like anything fun. <laughs> Regardless, the surrounding land where the lighthouse stands today was named Hasita Head in honor of Bruno, even though he didn't make it there. Well, that's very nice. That's the right thing to do. In the late 18th century, the U.S. Lighthouse Service decided that there needed to be another lighthouse between the Cape Arago Lighthouse and the Yakina Lighthouse. Now, funding was approved for the construction in 1889 by the U.S. Congress. But at this time, they had the funding, but they didn't have any place to put the lighthouse yet. Uh, wouldn't you want to find that out first? I would, I would have thought think? that would have been important to know how much you were going to spend on the uh -huh. land to be able to hmm. get the funding. But regardless, they didn't st still didn't have a place. So that wouldn't come for another three years. That's when the government bought a 19-acre parcel of land at Hasita Head. Okay. And three years three later. Three years. That's crazy. I would be so anxious. After a year of construction, the lighthouse was officially completed in August of 1893. The project cost $800,000, which would be about $2.5 million today. So not too, too bad. The project consisted of the lighthouse itself, living quarters for the lighthouse keepers, living quarters for the two assistant keepers and their immediate family members, a barn, and two oil storage warehouses. But the lighthouse itself would not begin operating until March 30th, 1894. Why are they dragging this out? Well, there was a huge delay from completion of the actual lighthouse until the start because of a delay in shipment of the first order of the Fresno lens that was built 
by the Chance Brothers. That was over in England. Mm-hmm. So I guess those things took a while to build, and oh, I guess they just so. and then they got to ship it from England hmm. over in the late 1800s. So that probably wasn't an easy task. And then the lighthouse lamps were made in New York. So you had to have both of these things, and they were both made in two different places. Right. So when all was said it. and done, it was worth the wait because the beacon could be seen from 20, 21 miles away and was once the strongest light on the Oregon coast. Nice. The first lighthouse keeper was a gentleman by the name of Andrew Hald, H-A-L-D. He worked there for 15 years, and then he was a pretty miraculous guy when you think about everything he accomplished there. During his time, he helped to build the property's own vegetable garden, its own post office, and a schoolhouse. They had one teacher there that taught all the kids. I guess, I don't know where the kids were coming from. Mm-hmm. If, if it was just the uh, kids that were from the keepers and the assistant keepers, because it didn't seem like there would be that many kids. Yeah, well, that's true. But that's, so, that's nice they had that, though. Yes. In 1930, the Oregon Coast Highway extended to the Florence area. Now, this provided the much-needed convenience for the lighthouse keepers and their families. They could actually go and get supplies and stuff a mm-hmm, whole lot easier mm-hmm. than what it would have been. The light in the lighthouse became electronic in 1934, so it didn't need to burn well and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. When this happened, there was no longer a need for the lighthouse keeper, the main one. So, see you later, bye. Oh. They kept the assistance because they still needed to have other stuff done. But he was gone. The head keeper house was actually sold for $10 and demolished for the lumber. Are you kidding me? Nope. All that time. Ten bucks. <laughs> well, it was just the, the keeper house. Well, yeah. Not but the lighthouse itself or the other assistant, yeah. the barn and all that stuff. The operation of the lighthouse was taken over by the Coast Guard in 1943. Now, this would be kind of a big deal because during World War II, the Hasita Head Lighthouse became the station of over 75 different Coast Guards. Impressive. Now, to accommodate all these people, temporary barracks were actually set up where they demolished the headkeeper home and used that location for it. The men and their dogs would patrol the coast 24 hours a day to make sure nothing was invading. In 1963, 20 years later, the lighthouse became totally automated and any remaining keepers were moved out. Oh, well, that's kind of sad. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot easier, that's for sure, but that's the whole thing about having a keeper there. That's what makes it the greatest, I think. Right. Well, the lighthouse's last keeper was Oswald Aleek. He retired July 20th, 1963, and he, at that point, had been the uh, lighthouse keeper for six years. The remaining living quarters were transferred to the U.S. Forest Service. And in 1970, Lane County Community College rented the living quarters to serve as a satellite campus for its students. (laughs) How big, I mean, I don't know how big this place was to be able to be a satellite campus for, I mean. It didn't seem like, when you said it, it was like, no, it didn't seem like it would be big no. enough. So, I don't know. At this point, the property was maintained by caretaker Ann and Henry Tammen. Now, we're going to fast forward to 1978. The lighthouse was added to the National Register for Historic Places. Quite an honor. Mm-hmm. In 1994, the Oregon Park and Recreations Department acquired the lighthouse 
and incorporated it into the Hasita Head Lighthouse State Scenic Viewpoint. Very cool. And of course, in 1975, it was converted into a bed and breakfast. Now, August 2011, there was an extensive restoration product that was conducted. $1.3 million was dumped into it. Over 100 craftsmen, and the work took place over two years. And that's what gives you what you've got right now. Mm-hmm. So they were closed down during those two years. Okay, completely. Okay, yes. gotcha. Much of the tower's metalwork and woodwork were restored to its original condition, and all of the windows were replaced. The interior and the exterior were repainted to the original colors of when it opened in 1894. That's cool. In June 2013, the lighthouse reopened, and now you've got exactly what you got if you went there today. It's all the same, huh? Yeah. Okay, that's a lot of the history, but it's spooky season, so let's talk hauntings. Let's do. There is one particular legend associated with the lighthouse, and this would be the ghost of Rue. Like R-U-E? Yes. Okay. Like street in French. Oh, is that what that means? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I know you're all surprised. (laughs) (laughs) Rue was a wife of one of the former lighthouse keepers. The legend is that Rue lost one of her daughters to a tragic event at the keeper's living quarters. At least, that's according to some versions. The basic story is that the child drowned. Some say that it was in the ocean. That obviously would not be in the living quarters, but others say that the young girl drowned in the cistern, which may very well have been in the home. Yeah, we had a cistern mm-hmm. in our house. Still do, actually. At your mom, dad's at mom house? and dad's. Mm-hmm. Where's it at? It's underneath the the house, you know, like where you walk back toward the back. Uh huh. It's under there. It hasn't got a hole. It's not even a square hole in there. And I always was amazed. Now, I know they have city water now. Right. But we always had to have the water haul to us. And it, I would always be amazed that my dad could fit his body through that hole. And we would go in there if something was clogged up or something was happening. We'd go in there and, and like, kind of sweep it out a little bit or something. But, yeah, we used to. It's still there. Hmm. Yeah. You know, this is funny. We were out there today. Mm-hmm. And I've been going to that house for 15 years. Mm-hmm. And I looked in the window for the first time because they have some stairs that lead down to like a cellar basement type area. Mm-hmm. I've never been down in there. I've never seen it. You've never been in the basement? No. And today when I was walking around the side of the house, I noticed that there were windows that looked down in there. And I looked in there for the first time in 15 years. It was a mess, I bet. It was. Mm-hmm. But I'm just saying, I, I had, in 15 years of being there, crazy. I've never even looked in that window. No, that's crazy. All right. So anyways, this lady lost her daughter. She took her other daughter left her husband all alone to run the lighthouse, and she went somewhere else. But if you believe the legend, Rue has returned to the lighthouse in the afterlife to search for her daughter. At least that's what people seem to believe. Why else would she come back? But she said to haunt the hallways of the bed and breakfast. So the obvious question would be, all right, well, how do we know it's Rue that's haunting the place? That's a good question. Well, this came from some of the students from the uh, Lane Community College we were talking about. Mm -hmm. They had a Ouija board session. They did not. They did. What do you call it? Ouija. 
Ugh. Get back with your country self. It's Ouija. <laughs> I've told you, Ouija is the wife on the Jefferson. That's Wheezy, you Igmo. Now, that was the person at asthma. You're all screwed up. Anyways. Wheezy. No, her, her name was Wheezy. Okay. Anyways, so... They had this. They had this Ouija, a Ouija board session, and they asked the name of the spirit mm -hmm. that was in there, and the planchette spelled out R, then U, then E. Well, there you go. That's all the proof you need. <laughs> yeah, scientific. <laughs> Caretakers, customers, and students of the Lane County Community College have all reported. Paranormal experiences. I said customers. I guess like a bed and breakfast prefers the term guests. Well, yeah, not customers, right? They're still customers. Well, I mean, they though. are, Ain't but this, yeah, guests yeah. sounds better. This includes orbs floating around in the air, the sound of a woman crying, and a white mist has been spotted. There was one particular incident in which one of the former keepers was fixing a broken window in the house. This was in the attic part. Of the home. As he's staring at the window that he's holding up, getting ready to replace, he notices a reflection of a woman in a late Victorian style gown and a full head of gray hair. Mm -hmm. A full head? Full head. Mm -hmm. She wasn't bald. Oh. Well, did they, did they discover the daughter after she drowned? Or was she, did they have her back? Or that no? was 20 minutes ago. Oh, I know. I just, I'm sure they did. I mean, I was making sure they found the body. Maybe well, I'm, I'm sure they did. Okay. So anyway, he sees. 20 minutes to think about it. He yeah. sees this reflection. He drops the window and runs out of the attic, leaving broken glass all over the floor. Well, the same night, the caretaker that lived on the, on the floor below the attic he hears the sound of someone sweeping up broken glass pieces. Hmm. The next day, they go up and investigate, and all of the glass was found in a neat little pile. Oh. The bed and breakfast does not play up the whole ghost thing like some haunted places do, yeah. especially when uh, hotels and stuff. They don't have to, though. Some guests are just mm -hmm. drawn there. There are several requests for Victoria's room, which is supposed to be the room that gets the most activity. Yeah. <laughs> and this is also the room supposedly where all the keepers slept. There's also the Cape Cove room. That room gets asked for a lot because that contains a closet that has a set of stairs that leads to the locked attic. Oh, that's kind of creepy. <laughs> so why don't they promote their resident ghosts? You would think maybe they would. A lot of places do. They like to draw that attention. Well, manager Misty Anderson, I told you we would hear from her. She says that it can be an asset to a business or it can be a hindrance, depending on how people feel about it. But they are doing fine, so they feel no need to even bring it up to people. Well, there you go. According to Misty, Rue doesn't ever do anything scary or harmful or threatening. It's more like she's just watching over the place, watching the house and looking for her daughter. That's probably a full-time job. I'm sure it is. Never I don't know how you split that up. Never ending. I mean, you imagine she's like, I'm looking for my daughter. 
why didn't these people make their bed, damn it? Mm-hmm. And it starts making the bedders. <laughs> I've got a daughter to find. No wonder it's taken me a hundred years and I still haven't found her. <laughs> As we pointed out earlier, there are several versions of Rue's story. Now, Misty said that they aren't sure exactly if they know what the truth is. The theory is that Rue was one of the former keeper's wives, but records can't confirm any of this because they don't list the keeper's wives or children in the records, just the keeper. That's kind of rude. So was there a Rue at all? Who knows? Did her daughter really drown there? Again, who knows? What we do know, though, is that there is an unmarked grave up on the hillside. It is all overgrown and has been left undisturbed. Could this be the daughter's grave? Don't know. It's unmarked. Oh. Nobody took care of it? Apparently not. Well, I mean, you're looking... I mean, this would have been maybe 100 years ago. So even if someone was taking care of it. Mm -hmm. All right. On one occasion, a guest and her husband were relaxing in the parlor one afternoon. She saw a gray figure float across the hall. It was near the base of the stairs on the second floor bedroom. Another guest, a young lady by the name of Carol Henderson. She stayed over one night in the aforementioned Cape Coverm. She said that she woke up at 4.30 a.m. and she felt a presence climb into bed with her beside her, at least for a couple of hours. She said she felt strange about it, but the whole experience was pretty cool, and in a way, she felt honored. <laughs> well, I'm uh, surprised she kept her cool like she did. She said she was concerned, but she never felt like she was in harm's, in harm's way. way. Aww. Many guests have noticed items in their rooms have been moved or rearranged when no one has been in the room. In some cases, items go missing only to be returned later. Hmm, trying to figure out what the heck they are, probably. Well, Misty says that things don't go missing for long. In most cases, whatever's missing usually stays in the room, and she can't think of any situations where the item went missing and did not get returned to its rightful owner before they left the bed and breakfast. So it it always gets reported missing, but always ends up turning up before they leave. That's good, that's good. Misty said nothing really scary or negative ever happens there. They just accept Rue as part of the house. She said this is coming from a self-described scaredy cat. (laughs) Misty says that enough has happened over the years that she doesn't like to spend the night there anymore. Beth Mazzacco is a housekeeper at the bed and breakfast. She said that she often feels a presence when she's working. She said that usually after she makes a bed... She will find that there has been a depression made in it as if someone has sat there. She said that she would probably scream if she ever actually saw Rue, but she never has, so she isn't bothered. Mazako also says that her job is to take care of the place and make it look nice, and she thinks Rue really appreciates that. Oh, good. It's also cool to know that the Bed and Breakfast has a book that they keep for people to list their haunting experiences into. We've definitely been to a few places like that. Yeah, we have. And it's so interesting to read the stories. The, and in Bardstown at uh, the Talbot mm-hmm. Tavern, they've got books like that in every room oh, that you yeah. can kind of check out the stories. Lord, you can sit there for hours just to read the things that people put. But it's really interesting. I think it's a good thing that they do that. Yeah, it's really cool. So, 
Tracy, you know anytime that we do a haunted hotel or a bed and breakfast or something like that, I like to read reviews. Yes. So I went to um, TripAdvisor and I found a couple. Okay. His first one says, out of this world. And it was actually from August of 2020. Says, and I'm going to read the whole review, even though it doesn't all apply. Hasita Head Lighthouse Bed and Breakfast was truly an out-of-this-world experience. Desperate to escape the suffocating heat and smoke in Boise, we were delighted to arrive at this historic hostelry. It's perched atop the rugged Oregon coast. This is not a place for everyone. The turn into the property with Route 101 is terrifying. The stairs are narrow and winding. Getting in and out of the tub in our shared bathroom required a degree of agility that we no longer possess. <laughs> <laughs> the the closest restaurant is 20 minutes away. That being said, it was perfect for us. Terry, the daytime manager, is the best in the business, welcoming and knowledgeable, enthusiastic. She's what we were watching the whales at play, actually hunting for baby sea lions, and it was sublime entertainment. The play of the light and the shadow behind the Hasita Head Lighthouse at dusk was otherworldly. As was our stay in the Queen Anne room. My husband woke up in the wee hours of the morning and discovered an unexpected visitor. An elderly lady was seated in a chair that was not there with an aura around her. Ray is by no means a ghost hunter. In fact, he is highly pragmatic and scientifically minded. Yet, try as he might, he could not explain what he had seen in any logical terms. It was a ghost, period. Nice. On to more mundane subjects. The seven-course breakfast was divinely over the top. Portions were manageable, and the skilled chef made excellent use of the local meats, cheeses, and fruits. We were well-fueled by our eight mile, for our eight-mile hike at Camp Perpetua. Sounds fun. The surprises and delights of a Cedar Head Lighthouse bed and breakfast are too numerous to describe. Suffice to say that we will be back. However, we will book one of the Mariner rooms within in-suite bathroom. P.S. The ghost awoke me during the third night with her heavy footsteps while moving furniture in the attic. <laughs> How cool is that? That's very nice. I'm glad they had a good experience. Apparently the seven-course breakfast is good because here's the next one. This one was from May of 2018. It says, This was our absolute favorite place to stay during our two-week vacation. You're forced to relax and unplug. We stayed in Mariner 1 and kept our window open the whole time so we could sleep to the sound of the ocean waves crashing on the cliffs. Sitting on the porch just watching and listening to the ocean was so relaxing. We hiked up to the lighthouse at night and we watched the beams being sent out to the ships in the water. Where else can you get an experience like that? I truly felt privileged that we were staying there as we could hike down to the beach or up to the lighthouse. The only other way to get up to the lighthouse is to park at the public beach access and hike all the way up. The bed and breakfast is in the middle, so we had a private access to the grounds to sit on the porch. Also, the ghost stories were awesome. They have a whole folder of stories. When we ate, uh, our server told us that her friend was delivering supplies to the B&B. He knocked on the front door and the back door with no answer. So he tried again, and a nice lady let him in. As he was leaving, after dropping off the supplies, the caretaker drove up and said that he was glad to catch him. Her friend said, no problem. 
The nice lady let me in. That's when the caretaker told him that there was nobody else there. He got a little scared. <laughs> well, at least she's polite. Yes. Here's a short one from 2017. Such an amazing experience sitting in the parlor late at night with the fireplace ablaze, playing cards and feeling like you have always been there. The ghost of Rue was very polite and made sure to turn off the lights after we all fell asleep. The seven-course breakfast was well-balanced and elegant. All of the staff is fantastic, friendly, and have a wealth of knowledge about the facility, including ghost stories and paranormal happenings. This is a bucket list kind of place, so make it one of yours. Cheers. Uh, just for the record, I saw some of the other reviews that I read were talking about this. Some of these places were like 600 bucks a night. Wow. So it better be a bucket list kind Ooh-wee. of place. All right, this is the last one. This is from September of 2016. We stayed just one night in the lightkeeper's room, which was a perfect view of the lighthouse. The rooms are small, but very comfortable. The home has a haunted history, and we did have an odd experience. Just after we arrived, we went to our room, and it looked like someone had been sitting on the bed. We went in, shut the door, and began unpacking. My wife said jokingly, this place isn't haunted. Just then, the door swung all the way open and bumped the wall. We looked at each other and laughed it off, thinking that this was kind of, you know, weird. Maybe it was the wind. Only the window was closed. Next morning at breakfast, which was delicious, our host informed us that one of the habits of the ghost was to move things or sit on the beds. Kind of creepy. Anyway, the lighthouse was beautiful, especially at night, and the beach was fantastic. Well, everybody's had a great time there. Sounds like a good place to go. Yes, it does sound like a fun place to go. So, I like it. I mean, I, I think it would be cool just by the pictures that I've seen and mm-hmm. and the the reviews. Because there were hundreds of reviews. Most, uh, you know, most of them were positive. Uh, most of them didn't include ghost stories. So, I had to search out those. But I had to read a bunch of them yeah. that didn't have. You know, you put in a search and put in ghosts and then... It gives you everything that says ghosts, and some of them say stuff like, we didn't encounter any ghosts, but I still read the review, you know, anyway, just to see how cool it was. But this place definitely sounds like a place that would be really cool to go to. Sounds good. And I want to see how bad that road is, where it says that it was very, that winding road was terrifying. Mm I want to see what that's all about. I guess if you got over too far, maybe you fell off a cliff or something? I mean, I would assume that something like that, just judging by the cliff that this thing sits on uh yeah that'd be pretty scary for sure. yeah it was uh it was pretty pretty bad so anyways all right tracy we're going to take a quick sponsor break and then we're going to be back with uh annie hamilton iman the uh director of tourism in mead county and we're going to let her tell us about the battle town witch can't wait all right, Tracy, real quick, some housekeeping before we get on to our uh, information about the Battletown Witch. We have our last live event of the season coming up this coming Sunday, a week from tonight, if you're listening on Sunday. Bobby Mackey's 12 to 3 in the afternoon. I think there are only about 12 tickets left. So it'll be the last time that we're at Bobby's for a while for the foreseeable future. We're going to be doing a bunch of different places last year that we've never done. Mm-hmm. And um, as of right now, we're still working on details, but we're going to be doing New Orleans in October. We're going to be doing um, Michigan up in Detroit area. We're working on that one. That one's going to be in July. 
I mean, August, I'm sorry. July, we're going to be in Buffalo, New York. Still working on that one. And then the last one I'm working on is probably going to be Pigeon Forge. And um, uh, Did you say New Orleans? Yes, New Orleans in, no, uh, New Orleans in October. Oh, okay, okay. So, yeah, New Orleans in October. So all these places are places we haven't been before and in different parts of the country than we've been before just because we're wanting to make sure that we can get out to and so some new people can get out and see us. Mm -hmm. But the Pigeon Forge show is is one we've been at before. But I think I got to get it set up first, so I can't mention it. But I think you're going to like our uh, guest podcast that we're performing with that time. And uh, we'll probably do that one in September where it's going to be nice and cool. So people come to Pigeon Forge and Gatlinburg and make a weekend out of it. Yeah. We we'll always love it that time of year. Yeah. So anyways, uh, Tracy, what do we got going on over for Patreon and stuff? Our iTunes are Sedling, Mojo Lobster, Cooter J, Mike113002, Sarah Susie, Lawn People Rule, and K Daniel327. Thank you guys for your awesome reviews. They were so nice. Thank Absolutely. You. We appreciate y'all so much taking your time out to do that. And our Patreons this week was Brenda Lee and Amy Yates. Thank you guys for your support means the world to us and we just wouldn't be here without y'all so we appreciate you all right so one last big shout out before we get into the interview we want to give a big special shout out to rob and brandon out at malice manor over in clarksville indiana across from providence high school wow we uh we were invited out to be able to set up for a couple of hours uh, a couple nights ago at their haunted attraction it's one of the top 11 in the country mm -hmm. as far as ratings and they gave us a behind-the-scenes look. We got to go through with all the lights on and see stuff and see the little uh, nuances of things and that, that you just don't see when you're going through with people pushing at your back and people yeah. in the front of you and all that in the dark. And and they showed us all this stuff and how all this stuff worked. And, and then we got to go through at the end of the night and, uh, and go through it the regular way with all the lights and everything off. How cool was that? It was so cool. All the detail... And stuff that they have in there is totally amazing. It is, I mean, it should be in the top 10, 5. Even. Yeah, it was, it was, it was really, incredibly really good. done. Very good. Very cool. And, uh, you know, like I said, we uh, they got some badass T-shirts. that you, They oh, gave us a yeah. couple of T-shirts. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And we just want to say, hey, if you're in the area, if you're within a couple of hours of this place, it's worth the drive. Yes, definitely. So. It is very, I mean, I went through it during the day or whatever with the lights on, and it scared the Jesus out of me. So <laughs> yeah, it scared her enough where she wouldn't go through with the lights off. Yeah, I couldn't do it. But you all will really enjoy that. They've done a really great job, and you will not be disappointed. Yeah, Malice Manor, Clarksville, Indiana. So if you're in the Louisville area or the southern Indiana area, go through there. I promise you, you won't regret it. All right, Tracy. I promised this little, little teaser interview, and it's a short one. It's only about eight minutes long. But uh, I think you'll be interested to find out about the Battletown Witch. And we're actually going to go there at this festival. It's a, it's an early enough to where we can do that in our Bardstown event the same day since they're fairly close to each other. Oh, that's true. And uh, so we're going to go during the day there. And uh, then we'll go at nighttime to Bardstown. So yeah. we're looking forward to it. All right. This is Annie. Hey, guys. I am excited to bring you a local talent. You know, I, I've said all month long we were going to focus on Kentucky stories being uh, the Halloween month, and we've done that so far. And with that being said, I'm lucky enough to have Annie Hamilton Emond on. She is the director 
of Meade County Tourism and also the author of Weird Meade County. Annie, thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity to be on here. We love Hillbilly Horror Stories in Meade County. Awesome. So, you know, a, a story that uh, I am unfamiliar with, even though I spent a lot of time in Meade County, and everybody, I want you to know that if you're outside, uh, especially we got a lot of Lexington listeners and out in the state, if you've never been to Meade County, you're missing out. They have a fantastic county fair every single year. They have uh, one of the best, uh, Otter Creek State Park is one of the best parks you can go to. Uh, Brandenburg is fantastic. Uh, Battletown is fantastic. With that being said, we're going to focus a little bit on Battletown today because you informed me of something that I was unfamiliar with, which is kind of hard to believe because I thought I knew most of the paranormal in the state. But you guys have a festival celebrating the Battletown Witch October 29th. And this is a big deal for you guys. Tell me a little bit about the Battletown Witch and, and this festival. Well, uh, her name is Leah Smock, and the ironic thing about her name is Le Leah is older than Battletown. <laughs> uh, she actually was from a place called Staples, an event that eventually became Battletown. Um, she was only 22 years old, and she unfortunately passed. Um, and the thing about her, she was a naturalist. She grew up with um, the Cherokee. She learned how to heal. She was so smart that she went as far in school as she could until she knew more than the teachers. And all of those wonderful things don't always equal the best thing in 1840 Kentucky. <laughs> so she got branded a witch. Um, terrible for her. She probably would be something else today. Um, and as superstitions go, when things got hard, people started looking at her. And then one terrible day, um, August 22nd, 1840, um, her neighbors came while her parents were in town, locked her in the smokehouse and set the smokehouse on fire. But that's not the end of her story. That's kind of where her story begins. She has been seen ever since. If you think about 1840, she is one of Kentucky's oldest ghosts. Yeah, I guess so when you start thinking about it. Yeah, and she has all of these things that uh, without being in the same lore that you think about ghosts and um, what's in popular culture today exists with her. Vehicles um, stalling, people not being able to find their way out of the woods, um, uh, electronics failing, things like that, that all existed in this vacuum outside of pop culture um, that revolves around her. So it makes all this lore around her so interesting. Um, and we always found it shocking that people don't know about her. Um, she, in the true sense of being a witch, fits all the criteria because even the witches at Salem weren't burned, as most people aren't aware. So she is one of the, probably the only witch burned alive in the state. Now there were three, I apologize to take that back. But she was one of the very few witches in America that was burned. So it kind of gets into what we think is the classic story of a witch and how it fits all the criteria, but she's just not known for it. That is true, because most people do think when you think uh, witches and execution, people automatically think of burning at the stake. But in reality, most of them were hung, hanged. Exactly. Um, 
that's why we want to shed some light on Leah, but we want to do it in such a positive way. We're asking people that are actually in that type of life. Like we have metaphysical healers and Reiki practitioners, tarot card readers, naturalists. Um, the author of the, uh, the book, Burned as Witch, the Leah Spock story, um, Eddie, who directed the Leah Spock movie, we're kind of putting all this together in one event to shed a very wonderful and positive light on Leah Smock and not how she passed. How long have you guys been having the festival? This is actually our first year uh, because we had two years COVID <laughs> that led up to this. So we kind of, um, we've been planning it for a long time, but haven't been able to execute it until now. Well, that's pretty cool. Well, that explains part of why I didn't know about it. Cause I was like, I thought I knew all these festivals when it comes to something like that around but that that explains why i didn't know about it so that, i'm i'm pretty excited we're going to come down check it out and uh and see uh what you guys had to offer i know you were telling me about everybody that was going to be there, the different types of like you said the, the reikis and the naturalists and all that it sounds like it's going to be an absolute blast and this is, is this a one-day event right yes so it will be october 29th from 11 a.m to 5 p.m because we know it's a Saturday before Halloween, we want to make sure that that evening's open for everybody to do the spooky stuff they want to do that night, too. Awesome. I take it there'll be some good food and stuff around, probably? Absolutely, because just like everything else, you got to have something to eat. So we'll have the kids' area, a food truck gathering, and just in case some poor pitiful husbands get drugged there and are bored to tears, there'll be a haunted car show also. Oh, a haunted car show. There you go. Yeah. So we're trying to do something for everyone. So let me ask you this uh, while we're on the subject, uh, and I know we're going to we're focusing on on that today. Tell me a little bit about your book, uh, Weird Mead County. Well, it's it's a website. It's not a book. But what we do is Mead County is so interesting in the fact that it's so old. It's one of the places that was protected during the Ice Age. So it's been consistently inhabited for as long as basically this part of the Americas has. So we have all of these fantastic local legends. We have um, in the 1800s, giant skulls were found in a cave in Peckinpah. We have petroglyphs. We have the Brandenburg Stone, which is um, one of the few things that shows that Vikings came to this part of the United States. It was found in the 1920s and it has Welsh um, ancient Welsh rune, uh, runes carved into it. And we go through all of this stuff on Weird Meat County and talk about everything from serial killers to uh, Native Americans, sacred sites, and everything between. Awesome. That sounds like an absolute blast. If people want to find out more about the Battletown Witch or if they want to find out more about the festival, where can they go? Uh, we made it simple for everybody. It's just battletownwitch.com. That is simple. I can even remember that, at least for the next five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Annie, I appreciate you coming on and sharing with us about the uh, the Battletown Witch and give me a little bit of, of knowledge on, on Leah Smock and about the festival. I can't wait to come down there and, and, uh, and have some fun with you guys. Yeah. And then if anybody wants to learn more about Leah Smock, there are two definitive works that I have to talk about that I got all of my information from. It's Battletown Witch, Leah Smock, The Evolution of Witchcraft, and The Last Burning in America by Gerald W. Fisher. And 
Burned as a Witch, The Legend of Smock by Kay Hamilton. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. And best of luck with the festival. Can't wait to see you there. All right. You definitely will. <laughs> Thanks a lot. All right, Tracy, that wraps it up for tonight. That uh, sounds like a lot of fun. Can't wait to go to that festival and check it out. I know. It's going to be exciting. And then here we'll looking to see all of y'all next week at Bobby Mackey's. Then the following week, we're at Scarefest in Lexington. So if you like um, scary stuff and horror stuff, come on out. There's a couple of people that, you know, I mean, I guess they can be our openers. We've got Robert England, <laughs> Freddy Krueger, and he'll be there. And Kane Hodder of Jason fame will be there and mm-hmm. a couple other people. But It's a lot of know, fun. Yeah. So, yeah, come on out and see a bunch of those guys. And uh, we're happy and, and honored just to be able to be a part of the same festival that they're oh, part no of. Oh, no way. That's that, ain't that the truth. All right. We'll check you guys out later. We love you all. Have a blessed week.